0: Chumba No by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcast.
0: You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work.
1: So Ian, uh, kind of a fun little event that took place over the weekend. Something that has uh, a lot of people in Broncos country very excited. We, we all, I think many of us watched it because it included Peyton Manning. Uh, but that was the match too, right? The match between... Uh, Tiger and Peyton, Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning versus Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady. It was a golf match just as uh, it was the first time Tiger and Phil played, only this time it was more interesting. And uh, it took place with with football players. And and we got to watch two of the greatest football players of all time duke it out one more time, maybe one last time. And it, it ended up correct, right? It finished properly with the greatest of all time, at least in those two, uh, winning that match with Tiger and Peyton prevailing, one up over Phil and Tom Brady. So we got to watch a little live sports and a little trash-talking, and uh, it was fun. It was enjoyable. So I, I, At least I think people enjoyed it. I know we did.
2: What I enjoyed about it was you got to see Peyton Manning with his sense of humor. He He is a genuinely funny, quick witted person. And most in Broncos country knew that to begin with, but to see it on the golf course with Tom Brady was hilarious. Like when when they were driving on the on the driving range, warming up for the match and Peyton has asked how who he would have had for his caddy. And he lists he, he lists off Eli Manning Nick Foles. Which which Tom Brady
1: snapped. He didn't even move when he heard Eli. As soon as he heard Nick Foles, he perked up and, and you heard him say, cheap shot. I love that. Cheap shot. And then the last one was Bill
2: Belichick. Which, again, like, whoa, Okay. But it it really was fun to watch live sports again. And as someone who has been to the Masters, I, I love. I'm one of the few people who likes to watch golf, especially when it's at Augusta. And having now been to Augusta National and walking up to Amen Corner sure, while the sun in. is coming up, mm-hmm. yeah, no, rub it is, in. It, it, just, it it's amazing. And to say that I've seen Tiger Woods play live and Phil Mickelson is pretty cool. And then the thing that also stood out was how bad Tom Brady is at golf. So awesome. So because awesome. what was so hilarious watching is one of the reasons I don't golf is because I can't drive. Like, I legitimately slice everything. So it was fun to watch a, a Hall of Fame quarterback drive like I do.
1: It's interesting you say that because – it's I also slice everything and I still play. You know, I we were talking about this before the show and and one of the things that I I genuinely took this away from from the match. So as I'm watching, you know, I'm I, I'm doing stuff around the house. It's a, you know, it's a weekend and it's you know, Memorial Day weekend. We're doing things and uh you know, obviously Memorial Day weekend you know, we, we think about those that, that gave the last full measure of devotion and, and that's a big part of it. But then you also get some of that escapism and especially during these times, it's nice to be able to escape into something. And what I really enjoyed escaping into here a little bit as we're talking about Tom Brady's struggles was the fact that he looked like me on the golf course. Now, I've heard stories of Tom Brady being an actually a good golfer and I, I have no doubt that he's got time to do those things and so he probably is better than I am. But to watch him struggle, I enjoyed it for the first seven holes. And by about the eighth hole, even I started to feel empathetic because not only are you playing poorly, and, and as somebody who has played with guys that are, that are better than me and felt terrible because I'm holding everybody up and I'm looking for my ball and they're you know 50 yards ahead of me and I and, and I you know I can hit the ball. I got a pretty good drive, but it's not straight. So I'm, you know, I'm always in the wrong fairway those kinds of things. So I start to feel a little empathetic. I start to feel a little bad for Tom Brady. And then on the eighth hole, he holes out from about 150 yards out. And I was immediately back to hating Tom Brady and being totally fine with him sucking the rest of the way. And so, you know, you you do, though, as a golfer, you feel for the guy that is clearly just outmatched. And and he seemed to be outmatched. And so by the end of that little seven-hole run, even – I think even a lot of people in Broncos country were starting to feel like, geez, Tom, I mean, just get one in the fairway, dude. Like, it was, like you almost just want just to hurry things along because you knew it was going to get dark. It was already rainy. You knew it was going to get dark. So they needed to move along anyway. But, man, I started to feel bad for him. Then when he holes out at 8 from 150 yards out and starts telling Charles Barkley to suck it, which I thought was pretty funny, actually. I was, I was back to just hating Tom Brady and being fine with him being awful the rest of the way.
2: The other big thing that stands out is now in championship games or matches, Peyton Manning is three and one against, or is it four and one? He's four no, and three one. Now, yep. And, yep. Four and one against Tom Brady. And then I love the 16th hole because Tom Brady is first up. Great shot. Phil Mickelson's next. Even better shot. Peyton Manning's like, hold my Bud Light. Would like it, he legitimately.
1: It was like seven inches,
2: yeah. Around 17 and a half inch. He legitimately had a shot to hold that. And then Tiger misses. <laughs> and then Tiger doesn't even hit the green, right? I mean, he, he did was, hit the green, but it was... He was it, it outside was...
1: the 12 feet or whatever, yeah. You know, it's funny. I was so... I, as a... Now, you know, in the summertime, I'm a stay-at-home dad, obviously. And so one of the things I do is I listen to uh, sports talk radio. And, and, and living in the Midwest, there's not a lot of options. And so I, I have a tendency to just throw on, you know... Dan Patrick and Rich Eisen are on back to back throw them on YouTube. I'm doing my own thing. Well, Peyton was on Rich Eisen today and I thought it was interesting that he and he and Tiger had clearly spoken about how they were going to uh, trash talk, how they were going to kind of get inside the head of Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady. And one of the things that Tiger talked about doing was taking his three U.S. Open trophies with him in his car and transporting them to the, to, to the medalist, which is where they played the, 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 their round of golf. And Tiger walks in carrying one Peyton walks in carrying the other. And they were just going to ask Phil to go out to the car and get the third U S open trophy, knowing how much uh, Phil really wants to win the U S open and how that's his, his, like his favorite tournament. And he hasn't, you know, he hasn't done it yet. And so that was sort of one of those things they talked about. And he, he also talked about how, they had more things that they were going to say and do on the course, but with as bad as Tom Brady was playing, they kind of, they started to pull their punches a little bit and they stopped going after him because of the frustration. For those of you who, who don't golf out there and, and those of you who do will understand this when you're playing with somebody and they're struggling and they really are just having a bad day. You, you gag them a little bit, but after a while you just, you stay away from them because that club becomes a weapon and you don't want to get in the way of it and you you just don't want to ruin their day anymore. So they clearly pulled off a little and were like, all right, let's leave that guy alone because he's he's having a bad day. And he did have – I mean, you split your pants. Even after you hole out, you split your pants. You don't even look cool taking the ball out of the cup after you hold out from from 150 yards. That's a bad day on the golf course. Could you say that he hold his pants? You could. <laughs> you could. I don't – I don't know if you should, but you could say that, you know, the other thing I thought that was really fascinating about it was the teamwork between the two different pairs, right? Tiger and Peyton had a very interesting dynamic between them because it was Tiger come read this green for me. And and the hole that uh, Peyton hits a, a, a 20 foot putt for birdie to win the hole. They don't even need Tiger to hit his putt. Tiger comes over, gives him a read, sort of tells him what to do, tells him speed, walks away. Peyton knocks it in and he, they clearly had a a pretty good dynamic. Whereas with Phil and, and Brady, they also, I thought they had a pretty good dynamic, but Phil was like giving lessons. He was like talking about the grain of the grass and the, the, the wetness and it's going to be slick and you're going to get skidding and all these things that a professional golfer has to think about. And a guy like Tom Brady or myself or yourself or other people probably just do just let me hit the ball. I don't really care what happens. And so it was just kind of interesting to see those two different
2: team dynamics as well. What I loved about it is the amount of money that was raised for COVID relief, $20 million. That is insane. That is a lot it's, it's of money. Huge. Well, and, and
1: the guys tech, the guys tweeting at them about like Brooks Koepka, uh tweeted that he'd donate some, I think it was, hundred thousand dollars if
2: Tom Brady pars
1: and then he hold out on eight to to get his par so that Kepka had to donate a hundred thousand dollars I mean that was really great that there was buy-in from the outside community people who weren't really at the event or, or, or even a part of the event but they knew the importance of it and they literally bought in by by donating money and donating meals uh, those kinds of things yeah the the charitable part of that is is obviously the most important.
2: And then two other things. One was the lead-in by Ernie Johnson, which I thought was brilliant, and only EJ could do something like that. Because I think he is one of the most underrated broadcasters, not just for sports, but overall broadcaster. I mean, when he has to work with Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal, you deserve a medal. Because those two guys are huge to begin with, ego-wise and physical basic girth and then the other thing i and i told you this before we started recording there's only one person on this planet who could get tiger woods to remove the flag from a cup and that's peyton freaking manning or or paydirt as did you did you catch that that
1: that uh tom brady called him paydirt like that was his nickname and it was like that was okay with peyton that tom brady called him paydirt i don't know paydirt what do you th- paydirt you're gonna call him paydirt all right but yeah, I, to be able to have Tiger Woods do something for you is, especially on a golf course. Hey, Tiger, go! D- really? Oh, okay. i would be afraid to talk to him, Mister Mister Woods. What's what's up, Mister Woods?
2: It was just it, it was a lot of fun to watch. Um, it, it it gave you a, a different side of them, and a, it, but also affirmed some of the things that we already know, like. Tiger Woods is the greatest golfer to ever live. I, I think that's he was so pretty smooth. clear.
1: That was really what was really fascinating was how smooth he was, even in the rain, even with all of the craziness and whatnot of that particular setup. He went out there and just he 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 looked like old school Tiger. And I know it was a charity event. It was at his home course. He was very comfortable. All of those things that you can say, but but he just looked like old school tiger woods. And if I was a professional golfer right now, and one of the favorites to win a major when they start back up, uh, eventually someday at some point I would probably have watched that and thought to myself, okay, that's a guy I'm going to have to really compete with because he looks, he looks good and he's old. He's old and he looks good. He makes, he makes me feel good because I'm getting old too. And I think I could also play well, probably not.
2: And it was just great to see live sports again, even if it was a charitable golf match. It was it was fun to have a little bit of an escape for three or four hours.
1: Are you okay, so you you mentioned live sports and having them back. I uh, just out of curiosity, are you finding yourself watching not the documentaries and things in the old history stuff? I know that um a lot of people are, are go you know, obviously the the last dance and and the I don't know if you saw the the first uh, se- the first episode in the series on Lance Armstrong that looks that looks like it's going to be really good, but do you? Find I'm not your- sure
2: if I'm going to watch that just because he is such a bum. I just I despise everything about Lance Armstrong. All right, so I don't want to hear on a tangent here. Let's
1: let's go on a tangent here because this that's actually a fascinating take. And here's 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 something that I I think is interesting, and I, and I am going to watch it because I find his I find him fascinating because I think you are absolutely right. He is an awful human being. And the things that he did to people trying to protect himself from being caught doing these uh, perf- EPO performance enhancing drugs. It's a, it's a blood doping thing where you put uh, extra oxygen in your blood. Essentially. It, he, he ruined people's lives, protecting him. So he'd keep awful. Right. But then yeah, if you he, he ruined. Absolutely. People. And then if you take all of that and you push that off to the side and you think about what he did with his fame for what is what became known as the LiveStrong Foundation, and uh, putting money towards research for cancer, and not just research for cancer, but money that went towards helping families that were dealing with cancer, and all of the good that he created out of the awfulness that he was. It is to me there is something fascinating about the the personal aspect of of Lance Armstrong being an awful human being, and also being an incredible human being it's I it's impossible to marry the two, but he is these two different people to me. And so I, I, ha, I have a, a, a healthy disdain for Lance Armstrong, the athlete, but absolutely. And I, and it, it's hard to really, it is, it's hard to get these two things to jive together, but I absolutely respect what he did for cancer research and cancer foundations and helping people who were suffering with a a terrible disease that we are still fighting and and will be fighting for a long time to come. How do you, how do you marry those two things? I just, it's, it's incredible to me. And so I, I'm going to watch it just because of that.
2: And I would only be hypothesizing on why you have these two different dichotomies of an individual. When I put on my therapist or psychological hat part of me thinks the reason he did the things with Lance with uh live strong that he did was to cover up the horrible things that he did. I agree. I totally. I, I think that's how he, he was able to live with it. Like he knows he's doing these awful things. So let me do this good thing and maybe it'll make up for it.
1: Or almost, you could even go the other way with that. I'm doing these horrible things so I can do this. Awesome, amazing thing because one of the things you get from we are so far away from Denver Bronco <laughs> football right now. But one I of never the, thought
2: we'd be talking about who, Lance Armstrong. Who
1: knew? Uh, one of the things that you get from that is they started a, a foundation sort of right after he uh, had his surgeries and whatnot, and he ends up they end up not donating their their the the money that they get to the American Cancer Society because they didn't like that the American American Cancer Society which does great work and does wonderful things the money wasn't going directly to certain institutions that were doing research and that were funding families and th- they wanted it to be a more direct route instead of that indirect sort of huge foundation donation so they created something that was more direct to the people and to the researchers and so it just, it really is I, I would love to have a therapist sit down and just discuss uh, he's he's an, he's a narcissist i think there's no doubt about that but, like, what is it that makes someone like that do those things? That That is fascinating. Here we are in sports psychology all of a sudden. Yeah. How how many people have turned it off at this point?
2: <laughs> Raise your hand. Well, as soon as you started talking about Lance Armstrong, most did. Uh, at least we were talking about Paxton Lynch. That
1: oh, wasn't even my point. My, my point was <laughs> – let me try and drive this bus back onto the road here. My, my point was, do you find yourself – for example, today, I sat down, I watched Bundesliga, German Bundesliga soccer, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, and I watched KBO. I was watching Korean baseball. Do you find yourself sort of gravitating towards just basic live sports that are happening now just because you're craving the competition and the the, the action of live sports? No. Because I do. I guess I'm I guess I'm nuts. You're also busy, right? Like you're working. I'm not, I'm not
2: working. But even even when there is live sports on, I there I, I very rarely will I watch any kind of soccer unless it's English Premier League. And even then, it has to be like Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool. I I'm not going to watch like bottom tier soccer. I mean, I'm not going to watch MLS.
1: Well, only Bra- only Brandon Quinn watches MLS. He's he's a big time uh Los Angeles Football Club guy. So, uh, you know, shout out to Brandon Quinn, whose whose show is do on on Netflix is doing quite well. It's what is it called? Sweet Magnolias or something like that. Um, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So, good listener of the show, he better he better uh he better, you know, send me a message thanking me for plugging his show, just saying Hopefully it gets picked up for a second season. Yeah. Yeah, friend of the show. We like to see we like to see Friends of the Show do well. So, all right. Let's Let's pivot here. Let's try and get back to get back to some, something that has somewhat to do with. Obviously, we're sort of in the doldrums here of the season. We're wait or off season. We're kind of waiting for things to happen. And SB Nation is doing kind of a cool. Uh, how, how would you call it? It's just sort of a cool idea. That's a theme week. That's Thank you. I, I couldn't find it. And, and the theme of this week is what moments in sports brought you to tears? What, what things about sports, what moments in sports, what were the things that made you cry? Uh, and, and I think that we're going to have to put a, a caveat on this a little bit, maybe not full on sob, like, like Michael Jordan laying on the floor sobbing after he won the, uh, his, his fourth NBA championship. Uh, I don't know if you remember that from the last dance that scene with was, was pretty powerful just to see him sobbing on the floor. Uh, but, Misty. Maybe you got a little misty. Maybe you got maybe you got a little verklempt you know, a little choked up, as it were. Uh and so were there moments, those kinds of things that, that really stuck out? And so uh, I think we'll I think we'll start with you, right? Let's let's go to you, Ian. And 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 just ask, is there one moment that stands out in your mind that,
2: that just made you cry? Like that was a moment that just made you cry. So there were two. The first one came toward the, the end of Super Bowl thirty two. And it was as soon as John Mobley knocked down that pass. And I looked at my mom because she has been a Broncos fan her entire life. She grew up watching the Broncos with her father. And I never met my grandfather because he died in 1979, which was two years before I was born. And I looked at her and I could see it on her face where she, she would give anything to experience this with her dad. And knowing what she went through watching football with her dad and watching, I mean, we've we we talked touched on Johnny Unitas. When you watch a Peyton's Places and he talks about the history of the quarterback and spends so much time talking about Johnny Unitas, the reason the modern quarterback is the way it is is because of Johnny Unitas. And I told her about that and she's like, I watched so many Baltimore Colts games and Johnny Unitas. And she did it with her dad. And it was as soon as that moment happened that it it's not just John Elway and the Broncos getting that monkey off their back, so to speak, of finally winning a Super Bowl. It was looking at her and seeing how much the moment meant to her and how much she wished she could experience it with her father. That Every time I see John Mobley knock down that Brett Favre pass, I think about that moment, and I tear up because of how much it meant to her. The team she grew up rooting for and watching finally did it. We've touched on this. There were people who thought it would never happen, legitimately thought the Broncos would never win a Super Bowl, and it finally happened. And then the second one was after Game 7 of the 2001 Stanley Cup Finals, and Ray Bork gets handed the Stanley Cup from Joe Sackick. Because as is customary with, with the NHL and hockey, Gary Bettman gives the cup to the captain, and Joe Sackick immediately turns to his right and gives the cup to Ray Bork. Another one, every time I see it, I tear up. It's a big moment.
1: That was a big moment for sure. You know, it's interesting. You talk about Super Bowl Thirty Two, and as, as you're talking about that, I, don't, I I do sort of get this impression, and I think most people will uh, will probably connect with this in a way. I, I remember watching that game in my Uncle Lou's basement. Uh, shout out Uncle Lou, and we were sitting there, and my my grandma was in the basement with us watching, and she was sitting in a chair, and the Broncos had taken the lead, and she said she needed to go to the bathroom it was the middle of the of this of of one of the drives and i don't remember exactly when it was i know it was in the third quarter and she needed she it's an old lady needs to get up and go to the bathroom you know and she's she's no longer with us but this was you know my dad grew up uh you know in north denver right right by old bear stadium it was eventually mile high and and so they they have that connection to it but she needed to go to the bathroom and we wouldn't let her go because just you know, just basic luck, right? She sat down in that chair, and the Broncos started to win. You got to stay where you are. Sorry. And so it was. It's memories like that, you know. And I, and I talked to my my old man a little bit about about this one because it was this one's a tricky one for me. I, I'm not I'm not a crier. That's why I sort of I, I pulled it back and said getting a little misty and whatnot. I'm not a crier, and and I at the moment it, it's not something that makes me cry. Uh, but thinking about that moment and the, the sort of the hilarity of it, right? If she had gotten up to go to the bathroom, it wouldn't have affected the game one bit. Like not even, not even in one iota, but we wouldn't let her go. And so the, the funny sort of moment that we shared with her. And, and that, that's just a memory of my grandmother that I have that, that gets me a little bit right. That, that moment gets me. And it's not even about the Broncos winning the Super Bowl, which was huge, right? That to me, that's elation. That was jumping up and down and, and, screaming and high-fiving and hugging and we were all so excited it was that was a celebration it, that moment about you know when I think about my grandmother who she's this poor old lady just wanted to go she just needed to pee that's all and we wouldn't let her I mean eventually we did but we wouldn't let her at the time it was it, it it's funny and it's it's that connection but but for me the, the closest I've ever come to a professional sports moment making me cry was, was, was Super Bowl 50. and it was it was, at, it was after the game, obviously, uh, they, the Broncos had won. And I think that what happened with that, having grown up in Colorado and now living so far away and not having the same connection that you know I, that I would like to have. And then also just being so invested in it, writing articles and doing podcasts and, and feeling like I've been a part of it, doing this helps me to feel close to the team that I love. That got me a little bit. It got a little misty on that one. I didn't, you know, little, little verklempt. If you remember Mike Myers uh, from the uh, SNL sketches back in the was the late '80s, early '90s. A little verklempt. Uh, I'm a little verklempt. That's that's kind of how I was. A little, little bit choked up. Not not bawling, but that was that was the one sports moment that kind of got me. That kind of got me. Other than that, though, for me, it's not about pro sports. Don't make me cry. They just don't.
2: I think what makes people get emotional is the personal connection. It's not necessarily the sport or the game or an event or an outcome that does it. It's the personal connection. So the reason that I get emotional thinking about Super Bowl 32 isn't because of the outcome necessarily or what happened. It's because of the personal connection when I see what it did to my mom. That's the personal connection that makes me emotional. It's why when every single man watches the end of Field of Dreams, they nope. cry because it's the personal connection, because they remember the moment that they played catch with their dad. It's not because of Kevin Costner playing catch with his dad. It's because of the personal connection. And if, if you're a man and you say you don't cry at the end of Field of Dreams you are either an emotional rock or a liar. You're, yeah, you're,
1: you're either an oak or, or you're, you're falsifying information. I'm going to tell a quick story about Field of Dreams that obviously for me chokes me up every time uh, as well, and that one does legitimately get me to, to to sort of tear up. But I remember when that movie came out, my my dad and my Uncle Lou, a lot, of, a lot of these stories include the old man and Uncle Lou, they were coaching high school baseball at Platte Valley. Remember Platte Valley out in Kersey? And uh, they took the team to see Field of Dreams at the theater, and my my mom and my Aunt Julie went as well. And so, so
2: this would have been a theater in Greeley because there's been. no That's way right. Kersey I, I, still I, doesn't have a theater.
1: I think it might have been the old Carmike Theater, which was new at the time. I think I'd have to ask about that one. I don't really know. I wasn't there. That's how there. old we are. I, we are so old. That's all right. It's fine. We'll be fine.
2: We're gonna be that okay. was by the old Co's BMW. Yes, it that was. That is not a BMW dealership anymore.
1: Well, no, and I believe the Carmike is now a, a church. So <laughs> if you if you haven't been to Greeley in a while, I do remember driving past it, and it I think it was a church. I think the, the sign didn't say, come see a movie. It said, come to church. I don't know. It was weird. But my dad, my dad tells a story. The old man talks about sitting, you know, Lou and, and the old man sitting on either side of one aisle. And an entire high school baseball team, a bunch of high school kids, sitting in between them. And my mom, and my Aunt Julie, sitting behind that row. And at the end of the movie, they look at each other and they're both crying. And the entire row of high school boys, you know, 14 to 18-year-old boys, tough, you know, and you know curzy you know, country boys, right? Out out on the farm, you know, you know, the, you know these kind of guys that... You know, motions are things that you don't show. And you look down and all of them, the entire row, the entire row of men are crying. And of course, my mom and, and my Aunt Julia are sitting there like laughing at them because of how ridiculous it is that, they're, that this whole row of boys is crying. But that is the emotion of sports. The other one that my, my old man tells me makes him cry is the original Bryant song. Brian, I love Brian Piccolo. The you know the old Brian song with with Billy D. Williams and uh, and uh, Jimmy Kahn and and you know that that one gets him because he was uh, a big Gail Sayers fan. He loved uh, he he loved Johnny Unitas probably just as much as your mom did, and he loved Gail Sayers. And uh, Gail Sayers survives. If you don't know the story, Gail Sayers he he survives. But Brian Piccolo is a football player that gets cancer and dies. And it's a, it, the original is very good. And I recommend it. It, it is one that kind of, it pulls at your heartstrings.
2: Another moment sports related that still gets me to tear is the murder of Darren Williams. When I woke up on new year's day on, was it 2007? Mm -hmm. It, it got me to cry because I, was fortunate enough as uh, an intern and then as a part-timer with the Colorado and in Fort Collins to cover that Broncos team. And I got to know Darren Williams and it was heartbreaking to say the least to see a young man basically lose his life. Well, he did lose his life.
1: At the, at the height of his, of, of the start of his career. It, the Darren Williams story is, for, for Bronco fans that don't know, and I don't know that there are many that don't, but he was he was going to be a very good football player for the Denver Broncos. He was a defensive back with a lot of upside, uh, Oklahoma State grad, and the the circumstances around his death were incredibly tragic. The, the season had just ended, right? Hadn't they just lost the night they before to the, to the 49ers? And it, Knocked them out of uh, the playoffs, which means that instead of getting ready for the playoffs, they're now free to go out and party and have a good time. I know there are still Bronco fans to this day that that do not forgive Jay Cutler for the uh, interception that he threw that essentially uh, cost, cost them the game. And then you have these events in Denver and there are a lot of things that surround it that are tragic and heartbreaking and incredibly sad. And it is, it is one of those moments that, um, if you are, if you are a big Denver Bronco fan and you, uh, were invested in the team and like you said, you were, were more than just invested. You were covering the team and you had had, uh, opportunities to, uh, interact with Darren Williams. And, And everything anybody ever says about him is, is what a great kid he was and how he was, uh, more than just a talented football player, but a really good, really good dude. And, uh, And he always had a smile on his face. He was just happy to be around and be there. And, and he was good. And it was, it was that, it, it was that devastation of real, it actually, it's more of the realization. And I think that's what the Darren Williams story really does is it brings everything back down to earth. Football is football, right? Sports are sports and we love them and they're a great distraction. And uh, the world that we live in today with, you know, the, the, the pandemic going on and, uh, all of the the deaths and and everything and you you look at sports as that thing that allows you to get away from all that and when you think about how the Denver Broncos season ended that year and then it really ended for Darren Williams and and what that sort of did is it pulled sports out of the realm of escapism which is what it is and into reality and it became a it became a real tactile moment that was more than just, I'm going to sit out on Sunday and watch football all day and hope my fantasy team does well. It was this young man was, was, was murdered because of, uh, you know, because someone decided they, you know, couldn't allow something to slide or whatever. And I don't want to get into the story behind why Darren Williams car got shot up because it wasn't even his fault. If you, if you listen to the reports, just the fact that it pulled you away from, the escapism of sports and pulled sports into the realism of just what real life is.
2: The other time that happens is when it was announced in 2014 that Pat Bowlin had Alzheimer's and he had to step away from the Denver Broncos. And that ties into another moment that will get me to cry. And that was when John Elway says this once for Pat, because that's, I mean, it, it was the pinnacle. It was him paying back what Pat Bowen said to him after the, after Super Bowl thirty two, And then, of course, the death of Pat Bowen will always make me emotional because he was the reason the Denver Broncos are the Denver Broncos. And to have him not a part of it was a painful realization that, as you said, that it's – it's not just sports; it's life. It's a,
1: yeah. It's uh <clears throat> that one was a, that one is a tough one. It's still a tough one, um, and it will be for a long time. I, I think a lot of uh, a lot of people in Broncos country aren't just it, it doesn't just make us sad his death, but it also makes us a little angry because as as you well know, uh, he did not survive to be a part of his Hall of Fame induction, and that that is uh, was devastating and frustrating and and. Uh, one of those things that really does anger and should anger fans because, you know, the NFL decided to go with Jerry Jones first, which was just stupidity. And, you know, and we get into that uh, on on another day uh, to try and bring it back to more of a, a lighthearted uh, uh, thing, to, to get it back to, into sports, maybe something a little less heavy. Is there a moment that uh, in sports, and I know we're supposed to be talking about crying, but maybe crying is a little too rough here. Is there a moment that, that made you just exhale in relief. I talk about super bowl 32 kind of being like that super bowl uh, 50 was like that for me, that moment of, of just, okay, they did it. And I I could kind of just exhale. Is there a moment like that for you in sports? Not maybe not just Bronco sports, but, but you know, Bronco football, but outside of football and in another sport.
2: Well, actually there's a moment that gave me at tears of joy is watching the video of Steve Atwater getting the knock on the door that he was a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And obviously there's a personal connection since I've gotten to know Steve and he's come on our podcast a few times. But just because of how much he deserves it, that that was a moment that, that really connected with me because of how much it meant to him and his family. Um, Terrell Davis getting into the Hall of Fame. After waiting so long for it to happen, those are moments that you remember because of how good they made you feel. I think um, both times the Avs won the Stanley Cup, the first time I was, it was the summer of my freshman year, our freshman year in high school. So I don't, I wasn't really that invested in it, but it's the first time that. Uh, a Denver and Colorado sports franchise won a major championship and then obviously Super Bowl 32 and then Super Bowl 33 I so those are the moments I think anytime that I've gone to a sporting event live it it was I always find a way to soak it in and and try to take as much of it in as I can so that I remember it and how fortunate I am that I, that I'm able to do this. Cause there are a lot of people who have never been to a Broncos game before. And you're the missing, fact that I, out. the fact that I have been to more games than I can count, uh, that I've covered the Broncos. I remember the first time I covered a Broncos game, it was a preseason game against the Houston Texans. And I walked into the press box and I, was in disbelief that I was there and then I walked down onto the field in disbelief that I was standing on the field where the Broncos play and then when I walked into the locker room for the first time just all those emotions flooded into me and I, I go back to my grandfather and my mom watching the Broncos and the fact that it was able to come full circle like that and I was able to do something so incredible was was a remarkable experience that I that I didn't take lightly that I, that I didn't take lightly and I that I still remember to this day.
1: Yeah, the the beauty of it is is not in the event itself, right? I think that that's where uh we we love the event we love the game. You love the sport. I, I, I could sit and watch football all day. I do on Sundays often uh, when, when they're playing, but the the beauty of it is in the connection that it creates in the uh, you know, in the emotion that it brings out in more than just uh, just sitting and enjoying your team, but, but being with the people who also enjoy it and who sit there with you and, and take it in as well. And uh, the stories that we tell and, and, uh, the things that 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 you remember that you you were a part of. I mean, I'll never forget after Super Bowl thirty three. I was over at a, a buddy's house, uh, and we after the Super Bowl ended, got in the car and started driving up and down t- uh, West Tenth in Greeley. That was where everybody went cruising, and my little brother was sitting outside, standing outside of the sunroof in my nineteen ninety Honda Civic Si. Uh, you know, throwing popcorn, and and we were. You know, it was a, we were celebrating. Those are the kinds of things that I remember. And I, and I, I had so much fun with the, the moments that, that some people might, that's a moment that somebody might, it might make them cry. And to me, it's, it's not about crying. And I think that crying is such a, maybe as far as talking about emotions go, crying is sort of too, too narrow. It's not about crying. It's about feeling emotional and feeling that moment and having it sort of overcome you in a way that. You, you can't control it. And some people can't control their emotions and they cry. Some people laugh. Some people sit there with their mouths open as if they've been punched in the face by Mike Tyson. I mean, there are, there are so many different ways to express it. So to me, it's those, those moments that you, that you absolutely love. I mean, I, I'll go back to uh, another one, another moment. That's not a Bronco moment. I remember the, the Yankees winning the Oh nine world series. And I spent every night of that world series on the phone with my little brother talking throughout most of the game and uh, as, you know, as they are uh, beating the Philadelphia Phillies who were a a great team and had just won the year before. And, and uh, you know, those, that connection there, that was something that my my little brother and I who were adults and married and, and children and these kinds of things were, you know, the 09 world series, we sat there every night, him on the East coast, me in the Midwest watching our favorite baseball team win another world series. and, at that's that's a connection there that uh, you you can't you can't duplicate that. Those are just the things that happen, and and that's what sports is, and that's why people cry at big moments in sports, not because of the moment, but because of the connection that they have to it. And it really is a, a sort of a fascinating look. I love this theme week because it's, you know everybody's going to be all up in their emotions for a week.
2: The other times where I've gotten emotional are for retirement speeches. And the greatest retirement speech ever was from Lou Gehrig. Obviously I weren't I wasn't alive for that. Neither were you. I don't think so. But that that, that will get me every single time I watch it. I think two others are John Elway's uh, retirement speech and you, you thought that would be one that got me to to tear up, but it was definitely an emotional one because right. this is this is the guy that our generation grew up watching from the time we were little boys to the time we were getting ready to graduate from high school. And then the other was Peyton Manning. I, 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 To me, Peyton Manning's speech was remarkable, not just because he did it at the Broncos facility and he did it as a member of the Broncos, but because it was on the level of Lou Gehrig. It was on the level because you have that personal connection. It was... It was so humanizing, it and I think I wrote a column after it for the Denver Channel where I said, as he was aching to do since the moment he signed with the Broncos, on the field and off, he brought hope. He brought hope to the organization. He brought hope to the fan base, and he brought hope to the people, even if it was just for five minutes, and got to meet him and they had no earthly reason to do it, but they felt better just by meeting him and having him do as he is always done. My name's Peyton Manning. As if they needed any doubt that that was who it was.
1: And then he was nice enough to not talk too much smack to Tom Brady over the weekend after beating him again.
0: You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment